Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. New Books in Southeast Asian Studies is sponsored by the ANU Southeast Asia Institute, the Griffith Asia Institute, the New York Southeast Asia Network, the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies, and the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre. Welcome to New Books Network in Southeast Asian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nicole Corrado, Professor of Political Sociology at the Center for Deliberative Democracy and Global Governance at the University of Canberra, Australia, and co-host of the channel. Today, I'm talking to Professor Baogang He of Deakin University. Baogang is one of the editors of Deliberative Democracy in Asia, published by Routledge in 2022. Together with Dr. Michael Breen and Professor James Fishkin, Professor Baogang-he put together a collection of essays written by experts in the region to examine how deliberative institutions are promoted by national and local leaders, as well as urban and rural residents in Asia. Welcome, Baogang. Yes, thank you, Nikos. Thank you. Great. Baogang, for our listeners, uh, I want to say that this book is very close to my heart because Like you, my work focuses on thinking about the prospects and challenges for deliberative democracy to take root in various parts of the world, particularly in my home country, the Philippines. And I would say this book is such a gift for many of us who are trying to envision um, the precise institutional configurations of deliberative democracy in countries that are often at risk of authoritarian consolidation and illiberalism. So thank you so much for putting forward such an important... Well, thank you. Thank you for your wonderful chapters on the Philippines. (laughs) I didn't mean to self-promote my chapter, Um, but thank you for setting up uh, such an important intellectual agenda. But first, of course, we need to begin with definitions. And the book is entitled Deliberative Democracy in Asia. Uh, So in brief, um, can you please tell our listeners what you and your co-editors meant when you used the term deliberative democracy in your book? Okay, thank you. So uh, Albert Einstein once said said that the three great forces rule the world. They are stupidity, fear, and greed. So, in contrast, deliberative democracy holds the view that decision must be based on power of reason rather than political, economic, or military power. So, the public deliberation and is the best weapon to against the collective or individual stupidity, fear, and greed. So, deliberate democracy. Democracy can be described or defined as an idea or approach that emphasizes the rule of deliberation among the equal, that induce reflection, and that result in bonding and legitimate decision. Deliberate democracy, in John Strong Mill's language term, is a governance through the discussions where citizens 
become authors of collective decision that affects their life. So we can see we have seen that there are a variety of forms of deliberate democracy, including like participatory budgeting, citizen jury, and deliberate polling, which were widespread across the Asia country right now. I'm I'm glad you mentioned those examples of deliberative institutions because many people, when they heard what you said that deliberation is about reason discussion, um, it addresses our typical view of politics is about power and sometimes collective stupidity or unreason. Um, some people might think that, well, that is too ambitious. That is too ideal. Um, reality is very far from, from that ideal. So I think what's powerful about the book is you also provide a framework for building democratic or deliberative democratic institutions. So can you give us examples of how the principles of deliberative democracy are operationalized, so to speak, um, in Southeast Asia? Yeah, in the book, there's a chapter on the uh, Malaysia case. Professor Sunny, he talking about one of the examples that is uh, Tamilo Parliamentary Consultative Council, a sort of a people assembly, a grassroots parliament. So it was established in the local city in the Tamilo. So it's aimed to have this kind of structured consultation. This council, this is they call People's Assembly, a grassroots parliament. They involve ordinary citizens, plus also a member of the MP and some officials to discuss these common issues. They make the decision about the local issues. So the, the first meeting, the grassroots parliament, start with 70 citizens, then later increase to 150s. So they are discuss a variety of issues, make the decision on the local public service issues. So this is probably the one example. Another example is there's a chapter by the Gary Loden uh, talking about the case of the, our Singapore conversation. In terms of this scale, it's very impressive, the, the, the Singapore cases, but it's a still uh, fall short of I criteria of deliberative democracy. But still, uh, I can be seen example, try to apply the public deliberation to improve the public decision-making uh, process. So there's our Singapore conversation that involve like something that uh, about 47,000 people, they had uh, a 660 dialogue that organized by the committee. And they spread uh, across in Asia about uh, 75 different locations. They've been, they are discussed the healthcare issue, housing issue, education issue, all the aging issues. So all those are four issues, a public issue, really impact Singapore daily life. One of the very impressive about Singapore, the way they organize those public forums, I observe them, they are extremely professional. They are thinking they must hire some of the best experts in the world to advise them. And so how to organize. And they are largely speaking still a consultative. That is, they uh, submit a report to the government. Government adopt some of their policy, 
recommendations. In terms of this, uh, forty-seven thousand people attended. Why the, the the number is large, but uh, it's still not representative. Another case, probably we can say, is probably Nico is a, a your chapter on the Philippines. You're talking about local development council. It can be. Uh, advise the legislative body, and they will discuss the local issues and will be the best uh, area to uh, develop deliberate democracy. In your book, you also you mentioned Nega, a city of 200,000 people, and uh, that is the best example of empower civil societies. They are participate in post-authoritarian Philippines. So they have uh, made some uh, the, the, the people councils. They created the people council, created a mechanism for directly deliberative democracy by linking the public deliberation to form formal space of decision making. So this is probably this nuggest city. As another example, in Philippines, they enrich the deliberation in local development councils. So the in Asia context, in Southeast Asian context, there's a variety of examples. And one of the examples I think uh, we in our book we haven't mentioned yet is in Thailand. Actually, Thailand was a quite early introduced deliberate polling instrument uh, on the health issue, but because there are some the um, agreement, so they cannot kind of publicly study that issue. I I've been reflecting on the examples that you that you gave us, um, particularly in well Malaysia and Singapore, and obviously these are countries that don't really have the best reputation when it comes to freedom of speech and freedom of the press. And then you give us examples of um, citizen dialogues and um, how these citizen dialogues are bridged to um, policy making um, by the government. So how do you feel about criticisms that these deliberative processes are just being used as, let's say, deodorizers, right, of regimes to show that they are doing something democratic, but really the public sphere, for the most part, is still controlled by the state? How do you reconcile that? Or is that a creative tension that we should just acknowledge? Yes, so there's uh, in my work I study China, so I come to a term called authoritarian deliberation. So this authoritarian deliberation also widespread in Southeast Asia. So some of the kind of semi-democracy or authoritarian states also increase use uh, um, the deliberative forum to improve the decision-making process. So so there are some the issues. But uh, I, my view is that the, the public deliberation is a, is a, is a common uh, contemporary trend in, res, in regard to what kind of regime, in whatever the, was a violation of human rights or freedom of speech. But the, to, to, to deliver the best, uh, a good public decision, you need uh, uh, a sort of the modern technique the like the deliberate polling increase being used globally in more than 40 countries. So those technique mechanism can uh, improve the government decisions. And uh, it's, it's kind of become the, like the polling. Polling is become fashionable in many countries now to detect 
the public opinion. So deliberate polling also become an instrument for government to not only detect the public opinion, find out what the people want, but also offer citizens a little bit of space to articulate their voice to impact that decision as a, a, a smart way to, to run the country. So, so the, in terms of the, I think this is probably in the features uh, in the Southeast Asia, as well in uh, East Asia, public deliberation has already been become a smart instrument for authoritarian renewal in a number of countries. So such a practice is likely to continue, even spread to other countries. So one of the intents of how if we want to delete deeply democracy, Asian citizens need to work out a strategy to utilize deliberative institution to challenge existing power relations. That's very striking for me on how deliberative processes can actually also be tools of authoritarian renewal, right? Um, it's not yeah. just a tool for democratization, but also That's to right. reinforce. Because in, in, in your article, one of your articles, you mentioned this sophistication of authoritarianism. And the, this authoritarian use of deliberate mechanism is one of the such examples. That's a very important warning, Baogun. Thank you. Um, another critique um, put against deliberative democracy is that it is a Western construct inapplicable to contexts like Southeast Asia. Um, these are countries with very particular histories, cultures, social hierarchies, uh, and relationships. And I think when I was reading your book's introduction, um, it's very striking for me how you demonstrated how deliberative mechanisms in Southeast Asia are actually already based on traditions of public deliberation. So you cite the example of Indonesia that has a Mushawara, which is one of the principles of, of Panchasila. Uh, tell us more about this. Before we go to the uh, Mushawara, I should uh, as just come back to your early points that the deliberative democracy is criticized for being a Western construct. I don't think so. I think that uh, deliberative democracy practice has uh, has a roots in the Asian tradition. So if we look at the history of democracy, consultative deliberative democracy takes place much earlier than electoral democracy. And um, uh, Islam has a long, long tradition of the consultation. So this uh, Islam as a religion has uh, deeply in this re- religious tradition, this uh, engage the consultation with the mass, with the people. So come back to this uh, uh, Indonesia, uh, Musawala, the case. Musawala, the literature means discussions. So this, is, this, this notion is uh, enshrined as a core principle in um, Pancasila national ideology. So, so starting in the, under the authoritarian government in 1980s, so the, the, the Indonesia uh, military regime promotes the village um, uh, deliberation, village election even, and promote this uh, Mosulwalas. So the idea is that each year, beginning in the January, First, at the village level, they have a discussion on the development plan. 
Then they will come to the district level, district city level in May, finally reach to the in August in the international levels. And the, so at the village level, they, they have developed a very impressive this kind of uh, deliberations. And they have, uh, in particular, like infrastructure uh, development. So each village receives a block grant from the government. How to use this grant? So then they invite the villages to discuss how to use it. So, so, so this kind of practice is deeply rooted in the religious traditions and deeply rooted in the village life. Yeah, that's, that's, really, that's really important to point out. Although I think one of the puzzles for many observers of these processes is whether these processes actually do make a difference. And if we actually uh, take a step back or take a step back further and think about the motivations of governments or powerful people to institutionalize this process, uh, it's not immediately obvious, right? If, if the idea of rulers is to preserve power, um, what's the incentive to share power to the citizens? Why, why would the Malaysian government, why would the Singaporean government share power to the citizens? You mentioned a while ago that it has become a technology for smart governance. So what else did you discover uh, in your book why do political regimes introduce public deliberation in the first place? Yeah, we, we, we've been discussing the three mechanisms under which the power holder, they are forced to introduce deliberative democracy for, 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 for the variety of reasons. So first one, uh, de- deliberative mechanism can co-op, de- dissent, and maintain social order. So, so say, take example, the establishment of our Singapore conversation, which I mentioned earlier. So the aim was to exclude or contain opposition voices. So People's Action Party had to deal with the shock 2011 election result, which is they, 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 they decreased the, the percentage of vote and the working class vote in particular had a look into opposition party, workers' party. So, so under these kind of circumstances, so in order to kind of contain the, the force of opposition party, they try to introduce this, our Singapore conversation as a way to consolidate the, the PAP power. So, so in, in short, so give a citizen a little bit of power in order to consolidate the, 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 the ruling parties. So the second mechanism is that the deliberative mechanism can generate information about society and the policy and help to avoid mistake. Uh, so in the, in the Malaysia case, as I mentioned, in the age of digital social media, every individual can be a journalist, publisher, and promote for the certain news. So it's, a, it's difficult to control those social media. So under those kind of new conditions, Malaysia uh, has to open up new channels to challenge existing hegemon. So Sonny, Professor Sonny in his chapter discussed this quite well because this, kind of, this is another new forces, force the local government 
to explore the new way, as I said, build these grassroots institutions to address public concerns. The third mechanism is the uh, 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 open deliberative uh, process can protect officials from charge of corruption by increased um, credible transparencies. So where the decisions are difficult and uh, and always involves a conflict interest, so deliberate process enable leader to defect responsibility onto the process and thus avoid the blame. So take example, as I mentioned, this village uh, uh, deliberation in 1980s in the Indonesia. So the, when the village receives a grant, uh, a block grant from the government, how to use it? So if the government make a decision, you, you should do this, do that. But then sometimes that is, that is it's not the people need. So then sometimes you, you, you call, invite the criticism or complain. So the, the best way, just let people to decide. When the people decide, whatever you decide, it's not my, my problem. It's because you make the problem, they make the decision. So this is a way, and then, then this is a way kind of to, to, to def, defect the official responsibility onto this deliberative process. And to, as I said, to avoid a blame. In the case of the, uh, Indonesia, so when they introduce this village deliberation, so the, the result is very impressive. So those, uh, the village scale infrastructures, normally the, through those uh, village deliberation process, was generally of a bad quality, built more efficiently with less corruption than the equivalent infrastructure built by government or by contract. So there's obvious reason because if you throw this deliberation, you 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 you, you really uh, make a decision that is that is people need, and also it's a it's a will come to the implement stage. It's easy to 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 do so. I I really enjoyed how you discussed that because it's not like you're giving a a bad story of deliberative democracy in Asia, right? It's not as if these processes are just instrumentalized um, by state actors and party actors to preserve power, but it also creates some room for voice. It's also rooted in Southeast Asian cultures, but can also be used for authoritarian ends. I think that's a very important nuance in our discussion, which challenges us um, people who study deliberative democracy to go beyond the the good or bad categories of, of assessing deliberative democracy. Is it good for Asia? Is it bad for Asia? I think the nuance your book offers is, is very um, important. So I'm not sure if it's fair to ask you this question, but from your perspective, on balance, do mechanisms of deliberative democracy enhance the overall quality of democracy in Southeast Asia? Do they do more good than bad? Or that is not a fair question at all. Yeah, uh, this is a really good question. Uh, first, I should say that when I read your chapter, and you, your chapter did uh, uh, offer us a very uh, uh, insight, the view that the deliberate democracy flourish in the period of uncertainty from the revolutionary movement against colonialism, uh, colonialism 
to post-colonial nation building to an anti-dictatorship campaign to civil society-driven democratic innovation after people's power revolution. So you describe this 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 uh, in this as an overlong period that really show us the deliberate democracy, our grassroots, this deliberate practice is one of the driving force in, in, to, to deeply democratization in Philippines. But I come back to your early uh, question, the overall whether, whether it's uh, just, was a deliberate democracy practice enhanced quality of dem- democracy in Southeast Asia? I, I I think when it comes to this issue, I uh, my my first uh, I should say there's a several way why the um, deliberate democracy can enhance quality of democracy. So there's several ways. First, they can address the deficiency of majoritarian electoral democracy, and deliberate democracy can improve and deeply participatory democracy. For example, in the form of participatory budgeting. And deliberate democracies, in, in particular, for example, deliberate polling can deal with disinformation and fake news successfully. But uh, so those are potential and they can do more. So if overall speaking, I, 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 I just when I compare Southeast Asian with the Northeast Asia, so the, the number of political experiment in deliberate democracy in Southeast Asia is much, much smaller than that of East Asia. So in Southeast Asia, probably we need to see more of those kind of experiment in a variety of form or area like citizen jury, deliberate forum, grassroots parliament, uh, and also like the, the Singapore's style of com- conversations. And uh, so, so currently, I, I think that there's uh, a, a, some the deliberative um, democracy uh, practice, as I mentioned, there's several examples. But in terms of the number, it's a smaller scale. Is a is a, it happen at a village or local? But at, when it comes to national level, the only Singapore holds this one. But that Singapore is a city state. So I think that it's it's too early to claim that the deliberate democracy has already successfully largely uh, um, uh, improved the quality of democracy in South Asia, and uh, we we need time to 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 test this hypothesis. There are some examples show we can do that; it it is successful, but uh, we need a larger scale, more experiment. So the, the, this this edited book, we we really try to aim to promote that this idea of deliberate democracy, draw some of the successful lessons so that Asian countries can learn each other, thus have a meaningful reshaping or enhance the quality of democracies. Before we end, Baogang, I would like to take advantage of your presence in this podcast as one of the most eminent scholars of deliberative democracy in the region. I'd like to ask you about the future of deliberative scholarship in Southeast Asia, where do you think is the field headed? Yes, thank you. I I mentioned this uh, just briefly. Mentioned uh, compare Southeast Asia and Northeast Asia. Kind of very little kind of dialogue between those two Asian regions. 
So I think that one of the future direction is we probably see more dialogue, dialogue among the Asians itself, um, uh, Southeast Asia and Northeast Asia, uh, East Asia. And also the more dialogue between the political theorists and the Asian uh, uh, expert. And uh, I think through this kind of interaction, cooperation and collaboration between the Western deliberative theorists Asian study expert or uh, through the Asian citizen from the Southeast Asia, Northeast Asia. So probably we, we can produce a meaningful lesson policy recommendation that will be probably applicable across whole Asia. The, so that's probably the one direction. I think in the next 10 years, we will see more meaningful dialogue happen. The, the second uh, new move, uh, trends is already happened last year and this year. Uh, we increase the um, the Asian and uh, become a part of global deliberation movement on the like climate issue on the journal editing. So so so, so the currently the globally there's uh, lots of the global deliberation global citizen forums on the climate issue, which happened last year, and the Asian countries like India and China and many other uh, Asian citizens has been randomly selected. They participate at the events. And we will see that this year or next year, there are more Asian countries will involved to become part of the global citizen uh, uh, forum on the journal editing issue. So there will be very new exciting experiment. And also this is of Asian uh, plays certain con- new uh, c- new contribution to, to, to global citizen deliberation. Uh, the, the third area that is a public is a new trends is a, what the scholar called the deliberative constitutionalism. So constitutionalism normally in the past involves a stakeholder. Uh, political party behind the door, they engaging the negotiation, come to the deal, then they work out the uh, uh, new revised constitutions. So, so, so currently the trend is how to involve the citizen public in the revising uh, constitutions. So we already see even in Philippines, I, I was uh, approach uh, kind of maybe two years ago. To facilitate or work with someone to, 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 to develop a deliberate polling on the Philippines the federalism issue. That must become, that is a deal with the federal constitutions. So the, the president want to, when he was elected to president, and he want to kind of introduce the federal system in Philippines. So then this involves how the citizen involved. So, so, but uh, 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 unluckily, unfortunately, this did not happen yet. But, but the issue has been raised. I think that the issue was raised a few years ago. This kind of issue will be raised again in the Philippines. As well in Myanmar, we, uh, I work with uh, Michael Brain, my colleague, and we did some the deliberate forum on the federal constitution in Philippines. And in, 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 in Japan, the, they are trying to revise the Article 9 of the constitution. So the one of the process is insert this public uh, deliberate 
the public deliberation into the constitutional revision process. So this the uh, uh, so this is a new trend that that is the uh, deliberate democracy will increase play more important role in the constitution revision process. Another trend which we discussed earlier that is a new trend is uh, both democracy and authoritarianism need a, a, a variety of form of public deliberation. So this authoritarian deliberation become a, a new challenge issue. There's the how to, how, how Asian citizens, uh, as on the one hand, need to engage such practice to, for the purpose of democracy. At the same time, how try to reduce the level of the official control to push more into the citizens' uh, 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 openness, inclusiveness, and uh, uh, to, to, to address this, uh, what is, uh, Nicole in your writing mentions is uh, sophistications of the authoritarianism. So what we said when the citizen need uh, upgrade its own instrument, become a citizen needed to be a sophisticated in uh, develop, push deliberate democracy. So we need to uh, study this uh, sophistication of the Asian citizen along with to, to address this uh, sophistication of authoritarianism. So those about those kind of four trends. Let me sum up, sum up those four trends. One is a kind of dialogue between uh, among Asia, between Western deliberate theory and Asian experts, uh, Asian experts. Second is that Asian become a part of global deliberations. Third is a deliberative constitutionalism. Third is a to, 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 to really citizens, Asian citizens need to not only empower themselves, needed, the, the citizen needed to be smart enough, become more sophisticated to meet the challenge of authoritarian deliberations. Thank you. That, that is a lot of work for scholars and practitioners of deliberative democracy in the region. Professor Bao Ganghe, thank you for joining us on New Books in Southeast Asian Studies to discuss deliberative democracy in Asia. Thank you. You've been listening to New Books in Southeast Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. This has been one of hundreds of conversations about other Southeast Asia-related books on the channel. You can download or stream these interviews free of charge from the New Books Network website or subscribe through your favorite podcast app. 